Let's take a moment to admire the fact I just hit a fairway. There's, there's only two things that can happen. You can hit a good shot or a bad shot, so why waste time doing it? And where I would go, I, wherever I set course records or whatever, I would be barefooted, drunk, playing golf, making every 20-footer I looked at. Right at it. Right at it! Oh! John He's done it again! This is the dumbest hole I've ever played in my life. Come on then, Shane. Knock it close. Shane Lowry is the Open champion. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Fairway Finders podcast. You might, for our regular listeners, be wondering who's this guy talking at the top of the show. Uh, our good uh, colleague and friend, uh, Brew, can't make it today. So unfortunately, you're going to have to listen to me sitting in the hot seat for the next uh, hour or so. But uh, my God, we have a great show in store for you today. We've one of the, the top journalists, broadcasters, hosts in golf uh, joining us today on the show. But the one guy that is a, a standalone is the darling of Dublin. It's Donica McCormick. How are you, Donica? <laughs> well, I wish I was as good at uh, snooker as the real darling of Dublin. Shout out to Ken Doherty, the man himself. Yeah, so guys, this is so... Um, this is a great episode. Honestly, you're going to really, really enjoy this. So we um, hooked up with uh, Jason Sobel, who has been a golf writer for, I mean, a couple of decades, really at the top end of it. Um, we talked all things Ryder Cup. Um, and we what, what we got out of it, which was so great, is we are kind of existing a little bit in our little European team echo chamber. Um, and we got his perspective on lots of things in terms of pairings, in terms of how he thinks it's going to go, in terms of how Whistling Straits is going to play. Um, that's all great stuff. There's betting angles. But then even more to that, there are some absolutely blindingly good stories. Um, we have had such fun with Jason. It was such a pleasure to have him on um, to give us his time. There's one particular story um, about Phil Mickelson that just please go and listen to it because it's absolutely gas. Um, yeah, you're going to really, really enjoy this podcast. Like I, I've had, I had a great time. That was a really, really fun conversation. A hundred percent, yeah. And, and obviously, thanks to Jason for coming on and giving us his time. He's a, a busy man, if you can uh, tell by uh, the, the interview we did with him. Uh, I think the, the the one thing that stands out um, for for myself is just how how down to earth the guy is. You know, very, very good guy, <clears throat> very genuine guy, and. Uh, they say that Irish are great storytellers, but my God, Jason is uh, Jason is definitely a storyteller, uh, and and I'm sure you'll you'll hear that throughout the interview today. So uh, we hope you enjoy what you're you're about to hear with uh, with Jason Sobel. Uh, it's quite simple. I just I just love it. I love the Ryder Cup. I, uh, I had a few thoughts uh, for my friend Sevi, and uh, this one is for, for him. Christy O'Connor, second to the 18th. He's got the right club. <laughs> oh, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> he wants it. Is he going to hit it like that? For me, it's been a career-long goal to get to Ryder Cup. I mean, I, I live for the Ryder Cup. That's why I'm here. Um, 
and I, I will deliver a point. So yeah, the Fairway Finders podcast this week, we're doing things a little bit differently given the, the week that's in it. Ryder Cup week, uh, I know it's my favourite week of the year and, and Donnie, I think you're uh, of a, a similar frame of mind. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to have a couple of shorter podcasts and we're going to get some special guests on uh, with us to preview the Ryder Cup and talk about some uh, some bets for the week as well. Um, so in terms of special guests, I think it's fair to say we've gone right to the top shelf of special guests this week. Um, so our guest today, he's a, a highly respected golf journalist, uh, formerly of the Golf Channel and ESPN, and he's now writing some great stuff uh, for the Action Network. Uh, he's a broadcaster and he's currently the host of the SiriusXM PGA Tour radio show. And from what I understand, he likes a bet or two on golf every now and then. Uh, Jason Sobel, welcome to the show. Steve, Donica, thanks so much for the nice intro. Uh, every once in a while, I have been known to bet on golf just a little bit. Uh, I keep losing money when I bet on myself. I, I'm just off the golf course 10 minutes ago, and um, that didn't go well for like a third straight day. So um, I keep it to the PGA Tour guys instead of betting on me. Well, we, we know that. I mean, Emiliano <laughs> Grillo, we know that he's going to run good. He's going to run hot this week. He started okay. He's in the mix for at the fortnight. It's easy nice to start. It'd be nice to start off the season with something good. I mean, it's a long season. I get it. By <laughs> by September of next year, no one's going to remember that in September of this year, we started off. But it'd just be nice to like start off with a good one. You know, That's, It's just a dream. And if, if, you, if you get one up early, you'll just spend an extra hour each week in the PGA Tour stats digging in. Um, it's just great to get the momentum started. So, yeah, fingers crossed this week goes well. Yeah, so I, I like him a lot this week. Started off okay, and, you know, we'll see what's going on. We're As we're recording here on Thursday evening, I mean, half the field hasn't even finished their first round yet. So yep. I, I try not to look too far ahead. You know, it's like, well, let's get to, like, Saturday, and we'll start looking at the leaderboard. I try not to, you know, get too excited or too pessimistic either way the first couple of days, but we'll see what's going on. You can only yeah, lose a- it on a Thursday. You can only lose on Thursday. Exactly. You, you yeah. sound like Tiger. <laughs> Greatest compliment I've ever heard in my entire life. That's his nickname, Jason. That's his nickname. Tiger, Tiger, we call him. Yeah, don't ask me to drive anywhere. There you go. Um, (laughs) Right off the bat, he comes in with that kind of of stuff. Um, The door tiger. Of course. So, uh, Jason, obviously, look, we we appreciate you coming on, and uh, it's great to to have you on the Fairway Finders. Uh, So, for the Ryder Cup this week, um, obviously, as a, a US perspective on it, how are you feeling overall? Are you, are you confident? Are you, are you a little bit apprehensive? Or what, what are the thoughts going into the, the Ryder Cup this, uh, this slash next week? Okay, so first of all, I consider myself a journalist. And even though, yes, I, I am an American, in case you know listeners out there couldn't tell. Um, I don't necessarily have a rooting interest. I don't, like, I tell people this all the time. People don't seem to understand that when you're a journalist and you're trying to stay impartial and objective, like, I really, guys, I really, really don't care. Uh, you know, and, and I know that sounds terrible. And honestly, what we do as journalists, we root for the story. And right. I, I tend to think the better story this time around might be the U.S. winning. And I can only imagine the calls that we're going to get on our PGA Tour radio show next week and for the next two years if the U.S. lays another egg and Europe just dominates them this time again. Uh, because people are going to be mad and they're going to want changes and they're going to want to do everything completely different. And sometimes it just comes down to, well, one team played better than the other, but 
Um, I think just to even things out, the better story might be the U.S. winning. But as far as me personally, I, I'm very confident that I'm going to get through the week. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll be just fine by Monday of next week after this thing is over. But uh, as far as the U.S., I, look, I, I think the U.S. is way too heavy of a favorite. I mean, how often yep. can we do this? Every two years, it's the U.S. is the better team on, on paper. The U.S. is a huge favorite. And Europe comes in and shows that games aren't played on paper and uh, the matches are way closer than it seems. So I'm, I'm actually very shocked that the U.S. is such a favorite from the bookmakers so far, although that really reflects what the public is betting on right now. So if the yep. public's going to bet with their hearts instead of their heads, um, then they're going to bet on the U.S. I have a preview coming out in the next couple of days before I leave for uh, Whistling Straits where I say, look, I, I like the U.S. to win. I don't love them to win. I don't like them enough to bet them at minus 225 or whatever it is yeah. uh, right now in the books. It's just a, a ridiculous number, I think. But what we've found over the last handful of years is that the European team has been better, first of all, in the team matches and especially in the foursomes matches. They're playing foursomes on Friday morning, four balls, of course, Friday afternoon, foursomes Saturday morning. And I think that maybe you find a, a nice little number Saturday afternoon, you know, kind of early in the four balls matches where Europe might be leading by three points or so. And the U S yep. might be able to get one or two back in those four balls. And you start looking at it, you say, okay, well now it's back down to even maybe now even the U S is plus money. And I think you can wait on it. And quite frankly, guys, and we've been doing this on, on our radio show, we've been doing it on the action network, talking about the pairings for so long. And I know we'll probably get into it as well. And yep. it's fun. It's intriguing. It's fun. Who's going to play with who? What does it mean? What matchups do you want to see? Eight of the last nine Ryder Cups guys have come down to the team that won Sunday singles that had more points in the Sunday singles session won the Ryder Cup. So, I mean, we can get into like, who's Bryson going to play with? How are they going to pair together? What does it mean? Quite frankly, we're going to go into Sunday at Whistling Straits and it's going to be tied or one team's going to be leading by one or two. And it's going to be really close. And the team that plays better on Sunday in the singles matches is going to win this thing. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think, I think uh, agreed on this side anyway. So uh, a question to throw to you, um, Jason, and you mentioned that it's going to come down to the, the Sunday match play. Um, so just to get your thoughts on Steve Stricker's more so on the, the captain's picks that he's made um, for the event this week. So I'm going to throw a point at you. And I'd be interested to get your thoughts on it. So the last two uh, WGC match play event winners, uh, Kevin Kisner and Billy Horschel, not selected for the team. And the top point scorer for the US in two of the last three Ryder Cups, uh, who is, of course, Patrick Reed, uh, hasn't been selected for the team. So can I ask you overall, uh, Jason, has Stricker got it right with his, with his captain's picks? I love this debate. This is sort of like us sitting here debating who was the greatest of all time, Tiger or Jack? Because you know what? We'd sit here for two hours and there wouldn't be a right or a wrong answer. And it makes for great podcast fodder because we can go back and forth on this. And you guys can say one thing and I can say something completely different. And, and there's no conclusion to it, which means that the argument keeps going on and on and on. This argument yeah. should, in effect, end next Sunday when they finish this thing. And we can look back and say, Scotty Scheffler went 4-0. That was absolutely the right pick to put him as a captain's pick. Or he goes 0-4, and, and we go, what was he doing? Or he goes 0-1 and, and doesn't play for the first two days. We go, why was he even on the team if he wasn't going to play the first two days? I don't know the answer to it yet. 
I can sit here and say, I, I can tell you this much. First of all, speaking with Steve Stricker during his press conference a little bit and listening to what he had to say when he made those captain's picks, I like the fact that he's looking more at how the course fits certain players as opposed to history in this type of format or history in the Ryder Cup. We do this every week. You guys are betting on golf. You guys understand this where every week we go, all right, well, the course is the Silverado is a 7,100 yard par 72. You got to shoot about 20 under to win. So it takes a guy that makes a lot of birdies. You got to keep it in the fairway there. Okay. Let's find guys who fit the golf course. Well, all of a sudden we get to the Ryder Cup and go, I don't know. I don't know about that core stuff. Give me the gritty gutty guy who's going to win some match. Wait, what, what happened to the other 51 weeks a year where we talk about course fit and, and we think that that makes so much sense to, to make our bets geared towards the guys that fit the golf course. And Steve Stricker has done that. He's talked to a, an analytics team and figured out who fits this golf course the best. I, I understand. And I was a, an advocate of, hey, let's be creative. Let's think out of the box. But I think it's really difficult if Steve Stricker calls up Harris English and says, look, I know you won twice this year. I know you played really well. In fact, you probably played too well. We're going to pick somebody that's further back because we want to think outside the box. We want to be a little different. You know what? In mm -hmm. fact, Harris, if you had played a little bit worse, we might think about you and we might put you on the team because that would be more out of the box than putting you on the team after you played so well. I, that, that's a really, really kind of weird way of thinking about it. But I, I can't find any fault in these guys. And I get it that, you know, okay, Harris English and Scotty Scheffler might not excite people too much, but quite frankly, uh, they're, they're some of the best players in the world. The U.S. team has 12 of the top 21 in the world. Uh, three of these guys that were captain's picks, Spieth, Xander, and Finau, I think it's almost impossible to knock their selections. I think we all knew they were going to be on the team uh, weeks, even months earlier. And Daniel Berger is a guy, and, and I've been asked this question a lot too, like who's going to be sort of, you know, the guy that gets the crowd going, the guy that, you know, is the fiery type player. We saw Anthony Kim back in 08 really get everybody fired up. We saw Patrick Reed do it as Captain America. I think the one player that could do it for the U.S. team, and granted, it's a chicken or the egg kind of thing. It's it, You can't get the crowd fired up if you're 0-3 and you're mm -hmm. playing really badly. But if you're playing well, the guy that I think is a lot fiery and a lot more cocky and a lot more fun to watch than American fans really understand is going to be Daniel Berger. I, I'm expecting a big week from him. Mm. Oh, that's Interesting. So from my perspective, like, and I entirely agree, if, if I put myself in Steve Stricker's shoes and I take into account the length of Whistling Straits, I, I, I think he's got it right. I, I would have been a lot more worried. I, I would have been worried to see Kevin Na. Like, I mean, Kevin Na, obviously, recent form, very good. And his ability to be a little bit odd and a little bit unorthodox walking in puts, like you can imagine a roar of a crowd if he walks in a 10-footer to win a hole or to win a match. Um, the length of whistling straights maybe is what might have put paid to his his notion, but um, it's the thing that worries me from a European perspective is you've got eight eight of the American team rank in the top fifty for driving distance on the PGA Tour. Um, I'm assuming they're going to cut the rough down next week because you're going to want to see holes one with birdies rather than mm -hmm. having a US Open kind of setup. And on the European side, only four would rank. So, you know, on, from a European perspective, the there's probably concerns about a couple of guys. Um, don't even don't need to name them. And I'm sure that they are raring to go. And I'm sure that as European teams do, that they're not going they're going to perform. But um, yeah, like 
this is a huge challenge for a European team. Like, um, and I think to, to go to your point at the top of the show, Jason, about like maybe the better story is for the US to actually get it done. So I, I agree. And, and the story is what the essence of the Ryder Cup, that this has been for the last you know, nine events, seven of the last nine, it's tended to be David has slayed Goliath in terms of world rankings, in terms of major championships. Um, and we've obviously fed on that for a long time. But I do think some of the perceived cracks in the in the US team in terms of, and I'd love to get your perspective on, on Kepka's recent comments and Bryson's long drive. Um, yeah, it would actually be a story because they are favourites and on paper they should be favourites, but there's a huge question mark over the the i suppose the team mentality okay so a few things to address there first of all uh again on the captain's picks and i i I seem to think that a lot of people don't understand this we're trying to find who is right who is wrong should it be kevin na or should it have been scotty scheffler should have been uh patrick reed or harris english And, and the point that i would make is look i get it these are tough choices but it's a really good thing that there are more than 12 players who are worthy of being on the team. Donica, before we started, you mentioned being at the K club in 2006. I was there as well. That U S team had Brett Wetterick. They had JJ Henry. They had Vaughn Taylor. There were not 12 American players who were fit to play on a Ryder cup team. It was just, it wasn't a good team. There just wasn't that much talent. And, you know, I, I don't think there's anyone that would dispute that except maybe those three guys that I just named. And uh, hopefully, <laughs> Brad, apologies been... to Brett Wetterick if you're listening right now. I, I, the, I mean no offense. Uh, the, the picture, but... the team picture. Sorry to interrupt, Jason. The yeah, team yeah. picture during the week I found absolutely hilarious that Brett is almost asking, should he be in the shot? He's, a, he's about <laughs> two and a half feet away from the rest of the team, standing out to the sides. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, and JJ right. Henry's a regular regular listener to the podcast, so he's going to be very very disappointed. I love JJ Henry. Connecticut's <laughs> own JJ Henry. Love that guy. Um, yeah, but uh, good for him for getting onto a Ryder Cup team. Think about that now. I mean, think about if JJ Henry, Vaughn Taylor, and Brett Wedick or Brett Wedick, who really had one good month, he played pretty well in a couple events in Texas that year in 06 and got onto the Ryder Cup team. Think about if those three guys were having pretty good seasons on PGA Tour this year. They're going to be 47th on the list for Steve Stricker uh, of guys who we might think about picking. The American talent is much greater right now than it was. And I would say the same thing about the European talent. I mean, uh, 10 years ago, Justin Rose being Justin Rose right now wasn't being left off a European Ryder Cup team. And the fact that there are that many good players, again, it's a really good thing. There's a lot of talent. And, you know, I've said this about Kevin Na as far as, look, Three years ago, when you're going to Le Golf National at at Paris, and it's a shorter, tighter course, one where you're not hitting a lot of greens in regulation, you need a guy who's got a great wedge game around the greens like a Kevin Na, okay, I I would probably consider him a little more heavily than I would have this year. Sometimes life sucks, and sometimes you play your best golf of your career in a Ryder Cup year where the Ryder Cup course doesn't fit your game. And you know yep. what? Is it fair? Maybe, maybe not. It's just the way life works. Mm-hmm. And yep. it would have been great for Kevin Na to have this kind of year three years ago. And he could have gotten on the 2018 Ryder Cup, maybe Ryder mm-hmm. Cup team, maybe, but he didn't. And this is what happened. And he's, you know, they're playing the they're playing at a much longer golf course and it doesn't necessarily fit him. Uh, yep. all right. So as far as the the team mentality of the US, I, I've always struggled with this because I, I think we're like we're grasping at something. We're grasping at reasons and explanations to to figure out why Europe has 
played so much better than the U.S. for so many years. And a lot of it comes down to, well, they've just played better. They, I, just, I think it means more to the Europeans. I, I was at, in Paris three years ago, and I had some friends who, who go to the Ryder Cup every year and said, oh, come out to a bar with us afterwards. And uh, we go out to a, a bar six, seven, eight hours after the Ryder Cup is finished and we walk in and there are people standing on tables and singing at the top of their lungs songs about Francesco Molinari and Tommy Fleetwood <laughs> and Sergio Garcia. And it was great. It was a wonderful atmosphere. And they could have been nicer to a few Americans who walked in and they're buying us pints. And we had a great time. What happens in America is when the U.S. team wins the Ryder Cup, everyone goes, yes. OK, what's on the four o'clock football games? Yeah. And that's just sort of the mentality is we kind of move on to the next thing really quickly. And I get that people are going to go, man, I'd be really pissed off if the U.S. team doesn't win this year. Trust me, and, and you guys understand this, you're probably not going to be as pissed off as Europeans would be if the European team doesn't win. I think it means a little more. Um, we saw Brooks Kepka's statements, and you know, I, I kind of get that. I mean, I, I will defend Brooks Kepka on this, the fact that 51 weeks out of the year, he's a lone wolf. He's been coached and taught to step on the throats of every other PGA Tour player out there. Doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't matter if you're friends with them. If you don't like them, you're supposed to go out there and beat the crap out of these guys. And then one week out of the year, you're supposed to hang out in the team room, be best friends with them, go out and play golf with them and have a great time. And that's not necessarily the mentality. That said, I always look at it very much uh, analogous to, to baseball in that, okay, the pitcher has to get along with the catcher. That probably has to work. That has to be a good relationship. Mm. Does the pitcher need to get along with the left fielder? Not really. It doesn't really matter. The pitcher does his job. The left fielder does his job. If they don't really hang out in the team room and have a beer together every night, you don't really care as long as they all do their job and, you know, kind of works together. I don't think that the camaraderie between everybody necessarily needs to be there. And, and that said, I, I think they're going to put it aside. I mean, look, I, I've heard all this stuff about like, what's Bryson going to do? Nobody likes Bryson. They'll find a guy. I think Tony Finau would be a good partner for Bryce. And Tony Finau gets along with everybody. Put him in four balls. Let him just go mash it off the tee and go find it and hit it again and try to make as many birdies as they can and have fun doing that together. And I, I think those guys would have a good time. And again, you just don't worry too much about it. Brooks and Bryce aren't getting in a fight in the team room. Uh, there's not going to be guys that dislike each other. Quite frankly, you look at those six captains picks on the American side, Jordan, Tony, Xander, Daniel Berger, Harris English, and Scotty Scheffler, find somebody that doesn't like any yeah. one of those guys. It's they're, really they're very, hard to do. Those I'm, are I'm very, really um, likable players. And I think I think what's different, I think the, the fact that half of the US team this year are rookies is I think is a major advantage because we know even if you go to the the degree of Tiger's record in the Ryder Cup, Phil's record in the Ryder Cup, Jim Furyk's record in the Ryder Cup, there's probably a fair amount of scars that maybe less so for Tiger and Phil, admittedly. But the fact that there is a freshness in the US team, I, I see as a massive advantage. And you also have, I mean, you have a two-time major champion making his Ryder Cup debut. Like, he's not going to be phased. Colin Morikawa is not going to be phased. I'd be interested to know, actually, who you put with Colin Morikawa. Um, you probably want a guy who, who puts the lights out. Um, and you've got a hell of a foursome team there. So I have got it down where Steve Stricker's job could be very, very easy as far as the pairings over the next week. I think until 
They just don't play well together until they run out of steam, until they lose momentum. I keep throwing JT and Spieth out together, who we know want to play together. Guaranteed. And, yep. just, uh, and, and it's not even about wins or losses. Look, if they take a match to 18 and Rory and Lee Westwood play really well together and just happen to beat them one up, okay, you know what? That's not terrible. Uh, sometimes losses aren't necessarily because you played really poorly. And then, then again, they could go out there and win, and they just win because the other team's making bogeys all over the place, and they're not really doing a whole lot to help themselves. And you say, okay, maybe they need to be sad, at least one of them. But as long as there's some sort of momentum, as long as there's some gas in the tank, I've got JT and Spieth together for four, and then I've got Xander and Patrick Cantley together for yep. four. Those guys get along mm-hmm. really well. They're two of the best players in the world. Just throw them out there and let them do their thing. And again, same thing. Until the point where you see one or both of those guys lose that momentum, lose that energy, and it might not happen. You hope it doesn't happen. If you're Steve Stricker, you throw them out there for four matches. What that does is basically cut your workload in half. Now, all of a sudden, you only need to find two other partnerships for the, the other four sessions. So the, the way I've got it, and I mentioned Bryson with Fee now for four balls. I like DJ with, with uh, Scotty Scheffler for four balls. Mm. I've got Kepka and Berger, the two Florida State guys for foursomes. Kepka, look, I get that he says he's healthy right now, but foursomes probably makes more sense in that you only have to hit half the shots over the course of a full day. So Kepka essentially plays nine holes each of the first two days, and it's a nice way of getting him in the mix without really uh, putting him in too much danger as far as his wrist. And then essentially left over the two nicest guys on the team and Colin Morikawa and Harris English, who should get along pretty well. I get that maybe it's a little bit of a mismatch pair, but at some point you say, Hey, you two guys, you know, go out there and play well together. I mean, yeah. it's, it's less so of a, the, the chemistry is, is less of a factor in four balls. Anyway, go out there and make a ton of birdies um, and, and see where you end up. Um, which is why, which is why I want John Ram to play with Victor Hovland in the four balls. Um, Because I just think they are just two absolute birdie machines. Um, Actually, I have more questions about the European teams, and maybe I just haven't read up on it enough, but I'm very interested to see if Harrington, first of all, is he going to sort of front load everything where it's like, okay, you would think Rom, Rory, Hovland are probably getting five matches apiece, but um, are you going to try to, do you try to hide a, and I, I, quite honestly, I don't even think he needs to be hidden because I think he's a very good player, but a Bern Wiesberger who just made the team last week, do you try to keep him to maybe one team match before you get to the singles? Do you just kind of throw him out there early and get him with it? Do you take the rookies and try to put them with guys who are more established? Or do you say, let me get some firepower and throw Rom and Rory together and just go, let's get this point and make sure our big guns go get it. I, I'm very interested in the European team. I actually think it's harder to put them together than it is the U.S. team this year. It is, yeah, and that's usually the case as well, and, and that's where Harrington's going to earn his, uh, his money one way or the other. So looking at the European team, obviously we have the, the power. I think John Ram is almost a certainty to play all five days. you got your, you know, your Hovlands, you got your, um, uh, the, the rest of them, but... If you look at some of the, the people that are coming into it this year, you got Shane Lowry, um, who got a captain's pick, who's been playing, in my opinion, he's been playing brilliant over in the US and, and going to a place like Whistling Straits isn't going to intimidate him. Um, so I think you'll see a lot of Shane Lowry this week. Um, Donnie, in, t- in terms of pairings for European four balls, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? What, what do you think is yeah, going to happen from so the- For me, and I, I've relatively strong feelings about this, I think... I think Rory and Shane 
should play four balls together. I think you need to keep that Rory and Ram. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and I think you need to keep Rory and John Ram um, separate because you need that elite ball striking element across the team. But who I'd love to see Rory play fortunes with, which he's done before really successfully, is Ian Poulter. That's a, you know, you've got a guy who makes a lot of puts. You've got a guy who hits a lot of incredible golf shots. And I think they're a bit of a dream team. So I'd have Rory with Shane in the four balls. I'd have him with Poulter in the foursomes. I'd like to see in terms of, and I agree, I don't think you need to hide Burnt Weisberger at all. So I had the pleasure of watching a lot of the BMW last week. And Weisberger was struggling a bit with his swing on Friday and just found a way to make the cut and then kicked on and qualified at a canter in the end. He showed a lot of bottle. I'd like to see him with maybe a Sergio Garcia. Um, I think blend the experience with uh, with someone who's new coming into the team. The ones that the ones that for me you need to potentially like hide are just guys out of form. I just I worry about Tyrrell Hatton, I worry about uh, Maddie Fitz. I worry to um, to the lesser extent about Lee Westwood, given his um, his experience. But uh, yeah, Tommy Fleetwood as well, Danny. He's yeah, he's been playing some just worrying golf for a guy that, that was an elite player a couple of years ago, and he just seems to have lost the lost a bit of form. So yeah. there's it, three, four names that we're a little bit worried about. It's very uh, difficult inside the pond. It's very going to be very difficult for Harrington, I think. Um, less so in the foursomes. I think foursomes are going to be Europe's strength. They kind of traditionally always have been. Um, and then, yeah, like, I, I'm, I'm very, just very hopeful that we're going to get a really competitive Ryder Cup. Um, like, the Solheim Cup a couple of weeks ago was just phenomenal viewing. I absolutely loved it. I, it, was, it was so much fun. Uh, the entire week was so much fun. It was so competitive. And even, even on a Sunday, there was a moment where the Americans were, were turning the tide again and it still looked with like five matches to go as if it could be a 14 all, it could be 14 and a half, 13 and a half. So I think if we can have a week where there are five matches left on the course and no one knows who's going to win the Ryder Cup, I think that'll be amazing. I, I would be very surprised if this thing is a blowout in either direction. Yeah. I, I like some of those pairings a lot. It's funny, I'm, I'm working guys on this sort of best case scenario, worst case scenario uh, for every player on both teams. And it's funny, you mentioned some of these names, and it's very easy to see a clear picture of both scenarios. Tommy Fleetwood's a great example. Tommy Fleetwood, base case scenario, he finds his new Molinari. He yeah. goes out there and plays just like he did three years ago, and he thrives in the Ryder Cup situation and, and plays some of his best golf. And the worst case scenario is he looks kind of ordinary, just like he has for the last couple of years, and you're kind of wondering why is Tommy even out there? You know, he just hasn't been the world-class player that he was a, a couple of years ago. And so you can go up and down the list from every single player on both teams and look at it from those perspectives and go, yeah, I could absolutely see the scenario where this guy goes four and oh, five and oh, I could also see the scenario where he goes oh and four, oh and five when it just doesn't happen for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And on that subject, Jason, in terms of, we're looking at point scorers and who's going to go five and zero, who's going to go four and zero. If we're looking from a purely betting perspective, um, it'd be interesting to get your take maybe on who's going to be top point scorer for the US team and and who you think um who's going to be top point scorer for the, the European team as well. Steve, thanks for asking. I've actually written this up in my preview already, so oh, I'm ready go. to go with this stuff. All right, uh, I have got for so first of all. Um, I, I think it makes sense that you're looking at guys who are going to play at least four, if not five matches. You can sit here right now and say, I think Harris English is going to play awesome this week. 
and I pick him to have the most points. Well, it's really going to be really hard to get five points when you only play three matches. <laughs> so I, I'm not exactly sure how you're going to pull that off. So I'm looking at guys that I think are going to play the full amount of matches. Now, from a betting perspective, you might want to fade the guys. I, John Rahm was plus 375. At one point, he was plus 300 to win the uh, the Fortinet Championship that he's Is playing he? in this week <laughs> on the PGA Tour. He's plus 325 to be the low point scorer for the European team next week. It's essentially the same odds to win a 150-man field out in Napa as it is to beat 11 other teammates as far as the most points next week. That makes no sense whatsoever. In any case, I'm not chasing that number for Rom next week. So from the European side, a name that, Donica, you mentioned earlier, Victor Hovland, I I think he's got the firepower. The one one issue that we've seen from Hovland over the last couple of years is he can blow up and make a big number when he's in contention. He can go out there and go six birdies and seven holes and all of a sudden throw a quadruple bogey out there. And you're like, dude, what, what are you doing? Like, how did you just turn into me uh, when you're playing some world-class golf, but in match play, of course, that doesn't matter as much. And it matters yeah. even less when you've got a partner, especially in four balls where you just go, all right, you know, put me down for an X let's go to the next one. And so I think Victor's going to have a really good week. I can see him putting up three and a half, four points for the European side. And for the Americans, again, um, the, the top is a little bit tighter, but I'm going to fade JT. I'm going to fade Cantlay just a little bit. I mean, not like I don't like those guys because I do, but I think Xander Shoffley is a guy that is going to prove that he is one of the best players in the world. He did it during the Olympics. Um, I've talked to so many players over the last few years who go, you know what, like take nothing away from John Rahm. And I think John Rahm has established that he is the uh, de facto, not de facto, he is the absolute number one player in the world right now. And he deserves it. But uh, Xander Shoffley, when we, if we do this podcast a year from now on this very day, I would be very surprised if Xander Shoffley isn't at least three, if not two on that world ranking. He is that good. I think yep. he's starting to prove it to a lot of people. Um, and, and I think he's going to start coming out on top in a lot of these events where he's coming close, especially those major championships. So I, I like him to have a really big week this week. Yeah. So the whole Xander um, element is, I don't doubt it either. Like he's an incredible golfer and he did show it at the Olympics. But I've been a little bit cavalier in, in kind of knocking Xander down for just the last couple of years and his inability to get over the line in a lot of different situations. And I, I know he says, like, the wind just changed direction at 16 at Augusta, and, you know. But, I mean, I hope that I, – I think he probably does have major titles in him. But you never, like, you never like seeing – at least in the last couple of years, you never like seeing a top golfer kind of struggle with the – with the, you know, the, the grasp and that opportunity to win. So, like, I think he'll he'll do great this week. He'll probably play four. Um, he might miss a session. He may play five. Um, because I mean, he's a hell of a player. But um, do you do you think he's got some majors in him? Then, Jason, yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Two things in rebuttal to this. First of all, we don't sit here on the podcast and talk about the guy that came in forty seventh place. So the fact that he's putting himself in those positions to win, even though he's not winning. I hate the fact that I do it all the time. Look, I, I'm in golf media. I'm on the radio all the time. I'm writing pieces. Like it, it's, it's easier to be critical of the guy who comes really close and finishes in second place than it is to the guy who finishes at 1130 AM on a Sunday, on a Sunday morning. So um, it, which never really makes sense. I mean, it, we wouldn't do it in another sport in another sport. If a team in football, a team goes 13 and three and reaches the conference championship game, we don't look at them and say, well, they're worse than the team that went three and 13. 
Now you kind of understand the hierarchy of it, but in golf, we tend to criticize the guys more who come close and don't win. The other part of this is that I always look at it as coming close and having that experience is a bigger positive than not coming close at all. And some players don't necessarily need it. Colin Morikawa has not needed those experiences in his career. He hasn't needed, Hey, let me finish in seventh in a major and then third and then second and then second again. And then, Hey, I finally broke through and, and figured out how to win and figured out that I can do it. Some other players have needed that Phil Mickelson needed a ton of experience being in the hunt at major championships. I, I'm not, you know, I'm old enough to, to remember when we sat there and, and said, you know, do you ever think Phil's going to win a major championship? It was like, I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> remember those days. Yeah. He's got six of them now. And so, uh, you know, I think it's really easy in the middle of it to say, you know, I don't know if this guy necessarily has what it takes, but I do really believe in Xander's game. And uh, Phil's one of the guys who's told, who's told me that, you know, it, Xander's as good as anybody else out there. I've spoken to some other players who have played not only competitive rounds with him, but, sort of just fun, you know, money games with Xander. And they're like, dude, you, you watch him play and you're like, he's really, really, really good. I hear the same thing about Patrick Cantley on a regular basis too. Now, I, I still think that John Rahm's the best player in the world. And when I talk ceiling about Xander and Patrick, as I did earlier, I, I try to limit them to, I, I think he could be the second best player in the world because I, I don't really see anyone upending Rahm anytime soon. Uh, I just think he's head and shoulders above the rest of the competition right now, but for those two guys, especially, and I throw Justin Thomas in there as well. I think that ceiling right now over the next year, two, three years is number two, number three in the world. Music to my ears, Jason. I've, I've been a pro pro Xander <laughs> guy ever since we started recording this podcast, me and Donnie have gone clashing heads a little bit. I've been, I've been <laughs> pro Xander trying to stick up for him as much as I can. There you go. A colorful, well-natured, well-mannered debate, Steve. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> a sophisticated debate between two, two golf men, basically, Donnie, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Um, Jason, do you know what? You mentioned uh, Phil Mickelson there, and I know there's a, a very good story since we're a, a golf betting podcast. I know there's a, a story going around about you and Phil Mickelson having a, somewhat of a wager. Uh, any chance you can uh, tell us the full story Which to one? our listeners? Which one? <laughs> I, I hear there's a hundred. How can I limit my Phil Mickelson stories? I, you know, you want me to give you the top 10 list? Do you know what? I'll still leave some on the cutting room floor. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll say, do you know what? We'll save, we'll save half our next time, but why don't you give us number one? What's your, what's your number one, uh, so, Jason Sobel, Phil Mickelson betting story? This was at Quail Hollow in 2015, I believe, 2014, 2015, something like that. Uh, me, myself and two other writers went out during the Wednesday program. By the way, if you ever go to a tournament and you're covering it as part of the media and you like to go speak with some players, go find them on the back nine of a program because that's when they really don't care at their most. And they're like, <laughs> you know, they see us coming. Usually they see us come. They're like, you know, oh man, let me run in the other direction. They see you coming. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden you go from the enemy to the friend because they're like, you know, I can either hang out with these program guys for three more holes or I can hang out with my media friends. So uh, but Phil, I, I, I joke about that. Phil's always been great with us. And so uh, we go to walk a couple of holes with Phil during the pro. I'm just really not even working, just kind of like, hey, let's go hang out. The media center was right next to the 16th hole. I remember we went out to the 16th tee box and we start walking. Phil goes, hey, are you guys coming on Saturday night? And we go, no idea what you're talking about. So oh, I rented out this little tavern down the street. I had like 50, 60 people, players, caddies, some media guys. 
we're gonna have like NHL NBA playoff games. And then there was a fight that night. Uh, God, what was it like a Pacquiao fight? I can't remember. There was some big fight. Give me, give me a big boxer from like six years ago. Uh, Pacquiao Mayweather. Yeah, it was a May, it was definitely a Mayweather. It was a Mayweather fight. Man, I don't know if it was against Pacquiao. I, I'm not a big boxing guy. It was something. It was something we were all excited to be like, ah, sure, cool, sounds good. We get there that night. Phil happens to be tied for the third round lead, and we're like, are we still doing this thing? So, yeah, of course. Come on over. You know, not, it's perfect. I have a late tea time, so you know we can stay up and watch. Great. Okay, we go over there. Just like you said, 50, 60 guys milling about. We're sitting there, and Phil's sipping on some red wine at the bar, you know, nothing crazy. And we'll just kind of, you know, have a beer and hang out. And, you know, it really was just a, a very relaxed, chill kind of evening. So before the first fight of the undercard starts, Phil stands up in front of the room and says, Hey, I don't want to make any big speeches, but I just want to say thank you everyone for coming. Everything's on me tonight. The, the staff here is great. They'll take care of you. Anything you need, just, just ask. And, uh, Oh, by the way, uh, we have the first fight of the undercard coming up and wagering is encouraged. Uh, thanks, Phil. And, you know, I think there might have been like one bet on the first undercard fight because who knows the, you know, it's the welterweight, yeah. Yeah. whatever. And, you know, no one knows what's going on. So there's a Flip fight. A coin. We're barely, yeah, we're barely paying attention. We're talking, hanging out a little bit. And all of a sudden, Phil stands up in front of the room. He said, look, I, I said I wouldn't make another speech, but we now have this fight. It's the late flyweight heavyweight light flyweight uh uh title bout between the title holder who's 39 and 0 with 32 knockouts and this young kid who's 20 years old he's 11 and 7 with four knockouts and he's a big underdog tonight but you know i I just like this kid there's something about this kid and i will take even money if anyone would like to bet with me well immediately there are 60 arms raised in the air throwing money at phil saying yeah Give me a hundred, give me 200, give me 300 myself. I was in for a hundred thinking. Yeah. And not thinking very much because all it would have taken was a very quick Google search, but thinking, Hey, if I win, I got some of Phil's money. I'm going to make him sign it and say, I lost a bet to you. I'm going to go frame it. And if I lose, eh, I paid a hundred bucks to hang out and have dinner and drinks. And that's about what I would have paid anyway. So, you know, I'm going even expense it to the company. So uh, it was a win-win <laughs> situation really. So uh, the fight starts, and it was very apparent very early that Phil's guy was going to win. And Phil knew Phil's guy was going to win. To the point where I wonder aloud right now whether Phil on Wednesday knew exactly what Phil was doing, which was, I'm going to invite everyone there. I am going to bet everyone on the underdog. I'm going <laughs> to take everyone's money, and then I'm going to pay for the entire night using their money and then they're going to walk out and shake my hand and say, thanks, Phil. Really appreciate you having us here. And what that's exactly how that happens. He is, what a, smart he is a master. How is Real Phil Mickelson not ruler of the world? He's the best. He's, he's has it. the best. Phil Mickelson has it. He made, more money. he made more money that night than he did when he won the PGA, the PGA Championship uh, last year. So I've here. done the math on it, and <laughs> I, I honestly think that – I want to throw a number out there, but he – Probably made in the neighborhood of three, four, five thousand dollars more than <laughs> the night would have cost to rent out the whole place. Profit. I'm sure, and and to give Phil credit, because I don't want to make this sound like Phil's stealing everyone's money. To give him credit, he probably took that money and some extra money and tipped out the entire staff because he's a very big tipper and very generous. But 
the whole thing was basically a wash where he got a free night and everyone had to say, what a great guy Phil is. That's amazing. So much fun. I, I'd imagine well, I'd imagine about like 50 and 20% of Phil's week is him making, you know that, you know the Leonardo DiCaprio meme of him in Django where he's like, <laughs> Phil's probably just making that face morning, noon and night. So I've got a caddy bib right behind me there uh, from when I caddied for Brendan Steele. Brendan actually Steel, just yeah. over three years ago, the BMW Championship Sunday. It was week one of the NFL season. Uh, Sunday's final round was washed out. They were going to go to Monday. Uh, Brendan Steele is a very good friend of mine. We've become friendly over the years. And uh, I just happened to be in the right place or the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, and he was talking to his caddy, Christian Donald. And Christian had been away from home for six or seven weeks. And uh, it was, you know, sort of a lame duck round. Steele was nowhere near the top of the leaderboard. And um, he couldn't move on to the tour championship, even if he shot 42 the next day. So it just, it didn't matter. And so he said to Kristen, go home. Don't change your flight for me. I'll find someone to carry the bag for 18 holes. And they looked at me and said, you want to carry it? Okay. Sure. Yes. Uh, okay. We're really doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Monday, you know, Monday finish. So it was a Monday finish. And of course, Phil Mickelson winds up being in our group. It was Brian Harmon and Phil Mickelson. <laughs> well, we start walking with Phil and Phil knows what I do. And, you know, looking at the betting markets all the time and betting advice. And uh, we start talking betting and, and Phil came up with a bet. that's actually very relevant this coming week, which um, don't tell anyone this, but uh, the Super Bowl champion always starts out on Thursday, of course, and mm -hmm. they always play well and they win. Then they have about 10 days off and week two, they never cover the spread. I said, okay, Phil, whatever. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks. Whatever. It turns out, Phil, that bet had been like 22 and three in the 25 previous years. No and way. Phil had like figured this thing out. Wow. And the very next week, it was, and I can't remember if it was, what was that, Patriots, Chiefs? I can't, I can't remember who it was coming off that year, but uh, the bet the very next week, he, he nailed it. And it was like, yeah, he, he knew exactly what he was talking about. So you're telling me to back a, uh... Back to Falcons against the kind Tampa of Bay on the story spread. right there. Falcons yeah. plus 13. There you go. Tip for now, the team. Usually, usually the Super Bowl winner goes on the road for the second week. So there's a little difference there, but mm. still, it's Falcons plus 13. I mean, I'm sold. <laughs> yeah, <you laughs> blame to, Phil if it doesn't work. 100%. Yeah. Phil's yeah. always to blame by, by the sounds of it. Uh, can I ask as well, um, Jason, the whole gambling coming into to the world of golf and i've heard a good interview with you on uh with kevin kisner talking about you know you like to have a first round lead bet on uh, on kevin kisner and, and things like that so how receptible are players to the whole the world of gambling and are they aware of the world of gambling that a lot of people have and i know DraftKings and our sponsor of the uh the pj tour coverage as well so what's your whole take on gambling gambling coming into to golf and Obviously, we, we love it, but it'd be interesting to hear your take from inside the ropes with the, the players themselves. They range from mildly aware to very, 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 very aware uh, <laughs> based on the player who is out there. And uh, they all know what's going on. It's become more prevalent in recent years. What I've found over the last just couple of years is that if I went to a player in 2018 and said, hey, you know, did we, you know should we bet on you this week? Uh, who else do you like in the field? You know, if you were betting your money, who are you betting on this week? Where, whereas a few years ago, it would have been like completely taboo. It would have been like, mm. Hey, turn that recorder off and let's walk over here. And maybe I'll whisper something in your ear. But for the most part, they were very reticent to do that. Now we have players on our PGA tour radio show every single week where we say, Hey, if you can't bet on yourself this week, we know you like yourself. 
who else would you bet on? We had on Aaron Rye the other day from Silverado. I heard making his, uh, he was a PGA tour rookie. Yeah. And, you know, we said, Hey, who else do you like? And of course he said, John Rom, and he might not be looking at the betting markets necessarily know what John Rom's number is, but uh, I think they're all sort of now in more in tune with, Hey, this is something that people are doing. This is a real thing. And this is drawing more interest to the sport. And this is what the part of it that I like. And the part that uh, I try to preach to people all the time who don't necessarily understand the whole golf betting concept. I said, look, uh, for years, years, decades, golf has looked to skew a little bit younger. How can we get younger? How can we find a different demographic? How can we get more people involved in watching the sport on a regular basis? Boom, just found it. Let's open up more betting markets to people where they can have a full personal investment. They can have some engagement with the product. And yep. again, it's this is not about hey, man, I'm going to bet $10,000 on Emiliano Grillo to win this week. It's about, I don't care if you're betting a dollar, but that dollar means something to you. And all of a sudden, you're rooting on that player because your investment is in him for the week. And quite frankly, I, you know, I say this to people all the time, I play golf with a guy who manages my money today. And I said to him, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to put all my money in golf instead because I know more about golf than the stock market. And I'm investing in, in <laughs> golfers on a weekly basis. Uh, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. I said, okay, I, am, I understand that, but I can tell you that I know a whole lot more about who might play well at Silverado or at the Sanderson Farms in a couple of weeks than I know about Apple or IBM yeah. or any other company and how they're going to perform in the next quarter. So GameStop. there is something to be said about What's that? GameStop. Game, GameStop goes there up and go. down like, yes. like <laughs> yes, exactly. I, um, I think it's the um it's the the bragging rights for me is what is really satisfying. And also if I can give a, a tip to someone else. So I had Billy Horsham last week, that was a great winner. But the mm -hmm. most satisfying like bet that I've ever done in my entire life was uh Royal St. George's 2011. The wind is absolutely howling. Darren Clark is hitting these four iron stingers five feet off the deck and knows how to get this done. And he's 125 to one. And you are insane if you're not putting, you know, a dollar each way, euro each way, whatever it is. And yeah, so I had a little bit of money on him. That was great. And that was amazing, but was way more satisfying. I had six, seven, a, a dozen messages come in on my phone. Oh my God, he won from guys who don't even like really follow golf. And that was more satisfying for me is that, Hey, I helped you out. Yeah. Happy days. Enjoy it. You know, a lot of times it's not about the money. It's funny back no. then. Um, and I really didn't bet on guys. I've, I've been in these, you know, one and done pools for a long time and done some DFS here and there, but quite frankly, I worked for ESPN and golf channel and back to ESPN for years and years before I came to the action network. And like, we weren't allowed to, I mean, we were yeah. told like, you're not allowed to bet on the sport that you cover. Are you kidding me? You can't do it. And so, um, one time a year, I would actually, you know, you go over to the open and you'd walk into a lad brokes and you'd put a little bet down. And so 2011, I walk in there and I said, you know, I'll make a first round leader best first round leader. It's always some kind of sentimental guy, maybe someone a little bit older, someone, you know, who's not totally out of it, but you know, a guy that you could see just throwing up a 65, 66 on the first day. I said, I'm going to go Darren Clark, first round leader, lose three back after the first round. He was Second round leader, third round leader, and of course led after the Three final shot round. Win, was it? Classic. Yeah. I think he Keeps got the final under. Yeah. Coming yeah. Back, didn't, didn't cash first round leader bets, though. Yeah. That's all he didn't yeah. do that week. Maybe, Jason, just to, to finish up, can I throw a, a couple? I have four quick fire questions for you. 
fire. And I'd uh, be interested to hear your take on it. Uh, so you can have a round of golf with any PGA Tour professional, past or present. Who are you going out for a round of golf with? Put you on the spot here a little bit, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's a little bit different than the dream foursome question, which I always have a, a standard answer for. Yeah, um, so we're trying, to, we're trying to change it up a little bit. Yeah, I, I know. This, well, my dream foursome answer is always like, I don't know, three of my buddies, and we go out there and we have a good time, which I basically do on a regular basis two, three, four times a week anyway. Like, that's, that's my dream foursome, to hang out with buddies and go play golf. Um, yep. For PGA Tour players, it's... I guess I'm supposed to say something like, man, going to hang out with uh, Jack Arnie and Ben Hogan would be a great time. And I'm sure it would be. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that, you know, if I didn't pick them and I picked, you know, Kevin Kisner and uh, a few other guys, we, you know, went out and had 12 beers during around that maybe it'd be a little more fun, but I wouldn't be able to talk about it as much. And I wouldn't have as many really cool stories from it, but I like going out there and having fun. And so, yeah. So, okay. I, you know, yes, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll answer. Okay. Tiger Jack Hogan. I, I don't know. That's like, that's Come just on, so cliche. Come on. I, give, give us one. You're going out for a two ball. The sun is setting in the evening and you're going, you can pick one PGA. Let's say current PGA tour pro. Who, who, are, you, who are you calling? Uh, give me Rory. Uh, I, I absolutely adore everything about Rory. I love the fact I've never even thought about leadership in the capacity of the game of golf until Rory started being a leader a few years ago. And yeah. it's changed the Great way I look up. at him. It's changed the way I look at the game. I love everything. I, I find myself in press conferences with Rory McIlroy, just sitting there like a bobblehead, like nodding my head every time he says something, because I agree with him so much. And I love the fact that he's willing to sort of put his opinions out there and put himself on the line so uh, yeah. I've, I've spent a lot of time around rory i've never played golf with him but uh, i think being with rory would be pretty good but uh, i might take jerry i might me and jerry might take rory in a match oh yeah <laughs> yeah I, okay. by the way it, we talk about like who in golf has like the the best life in golf and we say oh rory mcelroy what a life he had now rory mcelroy has to play golf and he has to make money and he has all the pressure jerry mcelroy now that's where you want to be Mm. He's got a membership at Seminole. He's got a bunch of buddies he plays with. Rory goes to the Ryder Cup. Jerry's front and center. He's got the tickets. He gets to watch. I mean, I'm telling you, that's the life you want to live right there. Jerry, you want your son to be one of the best players. Didn't Jerry cash his bet. Jerry made a bet in a local yes. bookmaker when, when Rory's 10 or 11. Yeah. By 25, my son's open champion. And I think, did he get it done at 24? Something like that. Yes. I think, uh, yeah, I think, he, I think it cashed. Before he turned 25, is that what it was? Yeah. 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 And he did cash it. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what? I, Go on, Steve. Sorry, Donnie. Do you know what we'll do for you, Jason? We'll, we'll tag uh, Rory McIlroy in our in our episode and we'll say, listen, Jason, Jason Sobel wants to play around with Rory McIlroy, any takers. And we'll try and get that we'll try and get that sorted for you if, if we That's can. Okay. Right? That's well, okay. You, Jason, you know that like Funny. in Ireland, everybody knows everyone. You know, exactly. we, we all we all know each other. It's only a small little island. So yeah, we, we'll, we'll hook that up, I'm sure. Yeah, no, I'm sure you guys <laughs> see Rory on a regular basis. I oh yeah. Great story for you, by the way. So a few years ago, I lived about 10 minutes away from Bay Hill. So the Arnold Palmer Invitational comes around every year and I get a million people going, hey, you got any extra tickets? And I'm like, guess what? That's not my job. Like, I'm a, not a ticket broker. I'm going there to cover. The, I have a credential that's around my neck. I, I'm not sitting here like, you know, dealing out tickets <laughs> all the time. So I, I had a friend a couple of years ago, one of my best friends who said, um, hey, I don't want a ticket. I want to come out and like follow you around and see what you do. I'm like, all right, that's interesting. I said, yeah, why don't you come out with me? I said, here's the deal, though. I don't have a credential for you. I have nothing for you. So I can kind of 
try to sneak you in and you can try to sneak out on the golf course with me at some point if someone gets wise to it they're going to kick you off and i can't really help you because all right fine I'll, I'll jump out and i'll take an uber home and we'll figure it out fine okay he comes out with me he comes out very well dressed he's wearing a, a, a polo shirt he's got pants on and nice loafers and you know his hair's brushed nicely and he he's got the the nice sunglasses the expensive sunglasses on he looks like he kind of belongs somewhere and so um, I needed to talk to Rory about something we're walking up the sixth seventh hole something like that at Bay Hill and uh and I'm talking to Rory and we're walking down the fairway together having a conversation and I turn around and my buddy is standing about six inches behind us just grinning ear to ear, this huge smile on his face. And I look back and I go, Rory, that's my buddy, Andrew, right there. I have no idea why the hell he's standing six inches away from us, but there he is. Don't, don't be alarmed. He's not going to do anything dumb. And he looks at me, he's like, Hey man, what's up? And you know, just, he didn't care. And he just kind of smiled and that was it. But uh, yeah, Rory's in any case that we tell that story all the time, just because my buddy basically snuck on there and then he's like sneaking <laughs> down the fairway. Like he actually belongs, but Rory's the best. I, 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 I love spending time. I, I haven't got it to got a chance to do it in a long time, but I, I really like just speaking with Rory and being around him. Yeah. I, I think he's, I would go so far as to say he's the most engaging sports person out there. There's no stock answers. He he's very active when he answers questions in press conferences, like even his, his words um, about and to Naomi Osaka recently, just really intelligent, really thoughtful guy. Like we, we obviously love him in this part of the world. Um, and what just the the day that that he wins his next major, and I do believe it will happen, will be a very very happy day for us on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, I actually think he's kind of a jerk. I was just pandering to you guys because you're Irish. hundred <laughs> oh, percent. Don't worry, we'll mention we'll mention that in the uh, our message to Rory as well. We'll, we'll sniff we'll sniff this little bit out. Um, question two, Jason, you, you've an an open bar tab for the evening. You've got one PGA Tour professional to come with you for the night. Who are you taking out for a, a night of points? It might be the same answer. Um, yeah, I don't know if I can tell this story. I had a go on a European major champion who very nearly made the Ryder Cup team this year. Um, that we we hung out a few months ago. It was Sunday night of a major. Justin and he had he had some uh, corporate outings uh, lined Rose. up the next day. I, I'm just I. On the video, you can't see whether I'm shaking my head or nodding my head. So no one maybe, Mar- maybe Martin Keimer, Donny. What are we thinking? Could be. Could be, could be Henrik Keimer. Stenson. Stenson, I, yeah. I don't know Stenson as well as uh, the other guys, but um, Stenson would have bought his tree wood to the to the pub. Yeah, as well. yeah. But yeah, I, I had a very good time uh, having a couple of drinks. Uh, I'll put it that way with this player who I didn't ever expect to be a guy that would come into this answer at all. So I guess. Uh, the answer to the question is I'd like to have an open bar tab with every single player. So I could see which one I had, a, I'd have the most fun with because we essentially did that. And there was a player that I didn't think would be nearly close to the top of the list of someone that I would answer for that question, but it was a pretty damn good time. Nice. What a political, political answer that is Donnie, isn't it? It's like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> everybody is so fence. wonderful. Yeah. Everybody. No, everybody is. Everybody. Though, sure. Yeah. No, no, that's fair enough. They're, they're uh, really, quite, I mean, I get asked all the time. It's like some of the first questions I get asked are like, who are the nice guys on the PGA tour? I'm like, well, it depends. Are you talking to them after they shoot 66 or 79? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah, most of them are nice guys. They're very, very few guys who I don't like. I, 
And honestly, most of the guys who I didn't really, you know, VJ Singh was always very crusty. VJ Singh was like, you, you oh, yeah. go over there and talk mm. to him because he's, you know, just he's mean. And so no like those guys are kind of older and they're gone now. And of the guys that are out there now, I'm, there's not a player where I, I sit here right now and say, I don't like that guy. Of the guys who are sort of quote unquote villainous within the public eye, a Patrick Reed, I've had great interactions with Patrick Reed. He's mm-hmm. done, I've done podcasts with Patrick where he's very open and honest and terrific. I have never had a bad interaction with Bryson of all the interviews I've had with Bryson. He, he is very thoughtful and explanatory and um, engaging. He looks you in the eye. I, I think Bryson's very good um, with the media. And so, yeah. you know, I, I think a lot of the, the guys that the public doesn't necessarily like, maybe if they spend some time around him, they might like him a little bit more. I think on the Bryson note, I actually think, and I wouldn't say like he's my favorite golfer or, or anything, but it, he he is not getting the credit that he deserves for how he has transformed his game and transformed his swing. If you can see the plane that he swung at in 2018 compared to now, like any golfer at any level to make those fundamental changes to your body is a huge amount of work. Obviously, it's a full-time job, but he, it, it's underappreciated how, how much hard work he's put in. I did a piece with him. It was a short piece that I did. I asked a bunch of other players about this too, but the concept, and this is sort of the, the motto, the slogan of the action network, which is bet on yourself, which is something we all do all the time, whether it's literally or whether it's just sort of, you know, Hey, I want to take a leap in my career and do something different or, Hey, I'm not sure I want to get married, but I'm going to bet on myself and think mm-hmm. that this is going to work out for me. I'm, I'm going to buy a house that might be a little more expensive than I think I can afford, but I'm betting on myself. And I think that I'm going to be able to get through it. Bryson essentially was a top 10 golfer in the world. And he took what I consider is about the biggest bet on himself as anybody else in the game of golf, which is I'm top 10 in the world. I, he could have stayed exactly where he was for the next 15 years and been a very, very good golfer for a very long time. Instead, he said, let's blow up the entire blueprint in hopes that I can be even better and win major championships for all we could, for all he knew, Bryson could have, this could have gotten it disastrously the other way. And he could have fallen out of not just talking about being one of the best players in the world in Ryder cup. I mean, he could have been 800th on the world ranking right now. Instead mm-hmm. he bet on himself and it's worked out for him, which I think is very admirable. Yeah. I agree. Major champion. I, I just, I, I would have like in terms of his longevity and swinging as hard and that the torque that he's creating, obviously you're going to look at comparisons to the greatest there's ever been. Um, in terms of all the back issues he had. And I hope for Bryson's sake that he's able to, he's able to um, adapt his body in a sustainable way as opposed to get massively jacked, swing like a lunatic for three, four years and then have loads of health problems. I agree with that. I always go back to something that Jason Day said, and he's been saying it for years. And he said, look, I, I hope I make it to 40 in this game. Yeah, I'm going swing very it. hard and I've got yeah. a bad back and I hope yeah. I get there. And, you know, he's sort of, he's struggled, of course, over the last couple of years, but yeah. We, it's funny, we never talk about that in other sports. We never look at uh, a soccer player who, uh, you know, puts his body on the line and is diving all over the place. It's like, boy, what about his longevity, though? I don't know if he's going to be able to play till he's 40-something years old. We never look at um, a, a, an American football player and say, you know, well, that guy's, you know, he's flying across the middle and he's get, taking hard tackles. What about his longevity? In golf, we seem to always bring up longevity as if, um, it, it's a big detriment if you don't get there. These guys make so much money that if I'm Bryson, if I'm Jason Day, if I'm any of these players, 
let me play the best golf that I possibly can for as long as I can. And if I turn 38 years old, 40, 42 years old, and I can't do it anymore, I go, all right, well, I've maxed out my earning potential and now I can move on to something else. Yeah, yep. no, I, it's a fair point. I, my, from my perspective, I suppose, um, it could be the difference between, okay, I've got 15 chances to win a green jacket or I've got, you know, potentially 30 chances to win a green jacket. Yeah, but um, maybe you'd rather have 15 great chances than 30 good chances. That's true too. Yeah, sure. I don't. I don't think. I don't think you want to be Sandy Lyle the last like ten years or so. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he has a great time. And and yeah, leave Sandy alone, Donnie. No, leave that's Sandy not a alone. criticism. He's he was still shooting numbers in the seventies, like. But he was. you know, um, yeah, basically a chastising uh, experience. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, last two questions, then, Jason. So you've got one course to play. You can get an unlimited membership, unlimited. Uh, chances to play what, what course are you choosing west orange country club in winter garden florida google. oh <laughs> yeah exactly. to google my home Can't club there's no tea times i i can show up there any day and Love anywhere it. between three and 74 of my buddies are sitting on the back patio and i can go you you and you let's go we'll take on him him and him and you know we we have e9s emergency nines where we might have 18 carts out there at the same time i always say to people i go Honestly, if I won the lottery, which I don't play, but somehow won the lottery, I'm still showing up there for the Friday game every week. Okay, I might hop on a plane on Saturday and go play Augusta or something like that, but I'm still showing up to my own course because to me, golf is less about it. Actually, my buddy Carl Paulson, who I do radio with, put this on Twitter about a week ago. Would you rather play uh, an average golf course with really good friends all the time for the rest of your life? or really good golf courses with people you don't know. And to me, that's, that's not even a question. I'd rather play with my friends on an average golf course. And ours is, it's an average course. I mean, it's, you know, it's, I like it. It's nice, but it's certainly not anything that's going to host a major anytime soon, but that's where all my friends are. And I want to play golf with my friends. And so, you know, would I take a day at Augusta, a day at Bandon Dunes, a day at Pine Valley? Of course I would. But if you said, Hey, you have to go there for the rest of your life and, you play by yourself or play with people you don't know every single day and you never meet anybody. But to me, that's, that's no fun. This game's about fun. So uh, yeah, me and my guys. And I couldn't agree fun. more. The, the only thing I'd change is I wouldn't like to play with my friends. I'd like to beat them and beat them consistently. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's my, my co-host on radio, Michael Collins, we we're talking about this yesterday because I had just come off the golf course yesterday and we start the show. And I said, just off the golf course, man, I, me and my buddy got our butts kicked. We played, he goes, you know, we lost four ways and a couple of presses. And he goes, man, I played the other day. I played with a friend. It was a beautiful day. We had a drink. We didn't even play for anything. I go, what, what's the point? He said, well, look, look at it from your perspective. You didn't even say anything else about the round other than you lost money. I said, fine. Okay, here you go. I, I played with three idiots and I had a moderate amount of fun and I lost money. Is that better? I, I gave yeah. you something before the whole gambling aspect of it. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, you're playing for money please i mean everything sounds like my sunday sounds like my sunday jason losing money playing with three idiots classic you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. uh very last question i have for you uh are you team brooks or you team bryson (laughs) (laughs) i have more empathy for bryson than i think a lot of other people do that's a great answer brooks has been 
That's what I'm Brooks has been the bully in this situation, and Bryson really hasn't done anything to deserve any of this other than mm-hmm. just being himself. Yep. And so, I mean, we we tell people all the time, I have two kids, you know, I, I'm not sure we've really given the bullying speech because I don't think they're bullying anybody, but, uh, you know, it's bullying is wrong. And no one ever remembers growing up and in school, there was some kid in class who'd, you know, steal your lunch or, you know, push yeah. you down on the, the swing set and what it, no one likes that. And so I feel like Brooks has bullied Bryson a little bit. And so I, look, I am not in favor of everything that Bryson has said and done. He's done a lot wrong over the last handful of months, but I don't think that he's gotten into that situation um, for the wrong reasons. I, I don't think he did anything to warrant sort of all this, uh, all this vitriol geared towards him and uh i do think brooks has been a little bit of a bully but then again look it gets us talking about it gets them absolutely pip money uh, you, you know, do. who knows maybe, maybe the whole thing's a grift yeah you, you, you do end up asking the question well is this all a ruse um, and i don't personally think it is but i my, my my take on it is brooks had has had several opportunities to nip it in the bud like really like open goals to just go listen this got out of hand this was a bit of fun you know and then he's got the team Brooks caps. And, and in just in, in several instances, he could have nipped it in the bud and decided yep. not to. And I just think that's that doesn't show him in a great light, put it that so, way. So this started at, of course, Kiowa, where Bryson was walking past Brooks. I was standing 10 feet away. I didn't really, I didn't turn around and really pay attention, but Todd Lewis came over. Uh, he was, I was doing interviews for Sirius XM. Todd was doing the interviews for Golf Channel, of course. And Todd came over a few minutes later and goes, man, you should have seen this. It was crazy. And of course the video gets released somehow a few days later and you know, all hell breaks loose. But um, of course it, it, the video is Brooks or Bryson walking past in the background of Brooks and Brooks kind of rolling his eyes and Bryson talking about, man, I thought I hit it perfect. And so if you recall about a month later at the U S open at Torrey Pines, uh, it's the same exact situation. Brooks is doing an interview with Todd Lewis of Golf Channel. Bryson's walking in the background, and Bryson jumps up in the background and just starts <laughs> waving back and forth. And I thought that was awesome. And so I found Bryson later that day, and I said, what was with the wave? I mean, everyone's kind of talking about it. So he goes, man, I'm just trying to have some fun with this thing. I don't know. I just don't think it's that big of a deal. I'm like, I love that perspective. You know, I, I think yeah. a lot of other players – uh, in that situation would have seen Brooks doing an interview and said, all right, we got to walk around the other way. We can't go behind him because it's going to cause all this stuff. Bryson's like, hi, everybody. And I just, I don't know. I, I, I thought that was really cool the way he handled it. I like it. But it sounds of a Jason, Todd Lewis is the blame for all of this. I think Todd Lewis is the real <laughs> I am the real totally villain. on board with that. Yeah, give, let's, give, let's, Todd let's Lewis, start that. give Todd Lewis the 40 million. Give him the PIP. It's his. Exactly. It's the yeah. last thing that guy needs. Do you know what, Jason? Apparently, I just missed him at the course today, too, where I was playing. He, he was there. Oh, yeah? Yeah, thankfully, I missed him. I'll have to see enough of him next week. I thought that would be a, a no-comment answer, uh, Jason. So we, we appreciate your, uh, your your time. We appreciate your, your answers. It's been a, geez, an absolute blast. And we'd love to get you back on, maybe, to, to review the Ryder Cup um, the week after next, if, if you have a couple of spare minutes. Yeah, uh, well, you're going to ask me live on the podcast. I'm going to come back. It's hard for me to go like, no, sorry, I'm done with you guys. So, yes, I'd love to. <laughs> Sounds yeah. great. No, genuinely, Jason. I, I sound like a complete jerk if at the end of the pod, I'm just like, no, screw you guys. You know what? It's, it's, 
it's 1am it's just coming up to 1am over uh, my time over here in Liverpool but I'm now wide awake because I've had an absolute blast it's been such a pleasure to chat to you uh, we really really appreciate it and um, we're so jealous you're at Whistling Straits next week I, like I know you're working but surely the 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 12 year old kid inside of you is, is pretty gleeful at watching 24 the best go toe to toe you know what it's going to be it's not the 12 year old kid it's the 21 year old kid in me because I'm staying in a house next week we just got our assignment with uh, Carl Paulson, who I mentioned before, and Dennis Paulson, no relation, but they do their radio show together with Colt Nost and Drew Stoltz. The five of us are in a house together. Awesome. Someone's not points. making it out of that house. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of points. A couple, just a couple, you know, just yeah. to, to keep the edge off just a little bit. So, you know, there it doesn't become too tenuous, but uh, I'm not too worried about the camaraderie in the team room there. It's uh, uh, those are the things that I look forward to. I mean, for as much as, and I, I don't mean to take it for granted. And I love the fact that, yeah, I'm going to be probably standing on the first tee when these guys tee off on Friday morning this coming week. It's going to be amazing. I can't, I'm going to have goosebumps and I can't wait to be there. It's going to be really cool. But being able to do that kind of stuff with guys that you've become friends with and uh, you're able to have that kind of fun on the road as opposed to just working the whole time, that, that's the kind of stuff that I look forward to as well. Told you that would be fun. Thanks again to Jason, an absolute gentleman, and we really hope to get him on the podcast again in the near future thanks again for listening we really really appreciate it um we are going to be all over the Ryder cup over the next week or two we've got more guests coming up we've got a preview show next week we're definitely going after some profitability within that so please give us a follow on twitter we're finders fairway on twitter we're the fairway finders pod on instagram also if you're not following jason sobel for the Ryder cup next week what are you doing at Jason Sobel, I-T-A-N, on Twitter. Get all over it. And we will see you next week. Let's take a moment to admire the fact I just hit a fairway. There's, there's only two things that can happen. You can hit a good shot or a bad shot. So why waste time doing it? And wherever I go, I, wherever I set course records or whatever, I would be barefooted, drunk, playing golf, making every 20-footer I looked at. Right at it. Right at it. Oh, oh he's Spain. done it again. This is the dumbest hole I've ever played in my life. Come on then, Shane. Knock it close. Shane Lowry is the Open champion.